Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Basil Moore, a filmmaker, perhaps is best described as an auteur. But that is not accurate either because he's not a jack-of-all-trades. But Basil seems to believe that filmmaking requires intricate mastery of music making, editing, cinematography, sound editing, acting, literature, science, and art. He is a musician who plays the piano, percussion, drums, cello, bassoon, conducts classical orchestras around the world, and now directs, produces, composes music for films, televisions, and commercials. And Carol, I understand you're a fan of Basil's work, and he's also donated his talents to the Dean Grant. Yes, we're very lucky, Claire. Thank you so much for your generous donation to the Film Grant and for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Carol. It's an honor. Good. Well, I tell you, we have so much to cover today. We really want to know more about you and also the services that you offer and how you have succeeded in Hollywood. All these things are important to us. So let's get started. Um, I really want to know, because you are so profound with both words and music, have you always felt you could communicate through those two avenues? I, uh, When I was a, a little child, I didn't know how to communicate with words very well like the adults were. Um, obviously, um, I was just a child like any other child that uh, wanted to be an adult really quickly and wanted to belong to the, the amazing society that everybody talks about. Um, but I didn't really know how to uh, speak very well uh, as a kid. You know, when you're still a child, you try and sort of crawl your way in. And um, what I found was that was very impact- impactful and very um, uh, useful uh, for me as a child to communicate with adults was through films. I showed people, I showed the adults uh, footage of things that I've shot. Uh, and they were very intrigued very quickly. They understood what I was thinking very quickly, quicker than if I had to, to stop and describe things to them. So visual art really was um, my uh, cue to understanding how to communicate with society. And then, of course, I had to marry that visual art with some kind of an audio experience. And music happened to be much more powerful than just a voiceover or uh, just an actor speaking. Uh, Again, it's without words. So I found myself a misunderstood alien uh, when I was a child, but then I kind of belonged to society in a very strange way through these two mediums. Wonderful. Well, tell us how your music talents developed. Um. My uh, great old brother, uh, who was playing the accordion um, for 
a school like for for a marching band um, intrigued me one day because I, I liked the 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 way the the buttons looked uh, you know black and white buttons on an accordion and the fact that you know they were very arranged in a certain pattern I quickly I recognized the pattern of of the buttons of the keys of the accordion I, I found that there is Two black keys, three black keys, two black keys, three black keys. And I was really intrigued, like, why that was the case. So, uh, one day when I was uh, eight, I think, I found myself in front of a piano, and I started playing on it, and I discovered that uh, there is a pattern. Uh, the same tones repeat over and over again, but they get higher and lower, but they're exactly the same tones. Um, and that exactness uh, really uh, uh, got me uh, wanting to know more about it. But I couldn't play the piano, of course, at eight, so, and then nobody was around to teach me. So um, I saw a friend of mine playing the drums, and I said, guess what, I'm going to play the drums. So I, I uh, took a drum set uh, on the beach. My family had a little cabin on the beach, um, and it had just built like a whole... Uh, community of, of uh, uh, beach cabins, and uh, we were one of the first uh, families to ever buy one of those. So there were no neighbors. So I put a drum set there, and I practiced there for eight hours every single day for years. <laughs> and then suddenly I became this drummer. I taught myself um, how to read uh, music and how to uh, follow a beat and how to create a solo and so on and so forth. And it started, of course. Uh, taking drum lessons professionally, and then I joined the band and became a rock and roller uh, and, and uh, sort of a fusion drum player, and I took it very seriously, obviously. But then pretty quickly I found myself going to the music conservatory um, and learning classical music. Uh, so by the age of 13, I was already uh, classically trained. Oh, my gosh. What uh, schools did you go to? Um, I started at a French school um, called the Lycée Liberté. The, uh, it's a French school. And uh, quickly after that, I ended up going to the Conservatorio de Bologna, which is uh, the Conservatory of Music in Bologna and Italy. Um, after that, I went to the um, American College in London, uh, went to the American University in Cairo um, and uh, UCLA and uh, studied in all of these uh, film production, economics, finance, project management, and music, and, uh, of course, film scoring. Oh, you did? You studied film scoring, and you liked that? Yeah. I loved it, but then, it, you know, obviously um, what what happened when I was, uh, between 15 and 16, um, I got signed to uh, Universal Music in London. And I started uh, becoming this professional musician, earning money uh, from making music. So I didn't really uh, have the opportunity to to live the life of a student. I was living the life of a professional, even though I was going to all these schools. Um, I had account, you know, I was accountable for producing uh, a certain amount of uh, tracks and 
fulfilling client briefs and so on and so forth at a very young age. So um, I found myself uh, uh, really in the industry, and the industry took a downturn um, for because of the technology. Uh, everybody suddenly has a computer, and everybody suddenly thinks that they're musicians, and everybody that produces any sounds on a computer think that they're musicians. So then suddenly there was this great wall of noise that I found myself having to be heard out of. Um, and it was very difficult uh, to maintain uh, a sense of uniqueness when nobody's listening. And the model of the music industry changed drastically. Uh, the music industry moved from uh, being a, uh, an album-based or a, a song-based uh, industry or maybe even a little bit of a talent-based industry into um, more of a... Um, a gangster-like industry. It was it was about who can muscle the most in, uh, who can muscle themselves in the, the industry the quickest. Were the were the ones who were getting noticed very quickly. Of course, there were a lot of talented people that um, made it through, but uh, there was a lot of noise uh, that was coming in, and, and unfortunately, that um, uh, allowed me to rethink my career, my life, and. It was, in a way, very advantageous to me because I um, I found my calling, as as it were, uh, and it was the film industry. Uh, I've always wanted to make films, and when I was a little kid at the age of nine, I was making little movies on a super VHS camera with little clay people, little Lego figures, and uh, little matchbox um, uh, cars and toys and uh, made them explode and, you know, burnt them and, and created all sorts of action uh, movies when I was a little, little kid. Uh, and then, of course, a lot of aliens. I've used a lot of aliens. I've used all my cool friends, turned them into alien beings. Um, That's <laughs> so, great. Uh, yeah. Um, but what's intriguing about this is that I made music for these uh, little movies. And when I showed them to people... Um, this gentleman saw it and said, well, um, I like the music. I should introduce you to the president of Universal. And he did. And this is Universal Music, right? Universal Universal Music, yeah. What, what's so funny is that um, I was, uh, when I was young, I was independent. I didn't want to really be with the family. I felt like I was being... Um, oppressed in a way you know how kids feel um i wasn't really oppressed it was all in my head you know i was i, I had so much ideas so many things to say and communicate and just didn't know how to communicate them and i was just wanted to make a lot of music and i didn't really want to listen to you know the parents so uh, i moved on and moved on my own and uh, found myself uh, 500 pounds overdrawn in the bank and done no prospect of paying the rent and so one day I woke up in the morning, I dialed Universal Music. Uh, for some reason, uh, it, it came into my head, the word Universal, and I just called them. And I said, who's your president? And uh, the lady that answered, she said, Paul Connolly. I said, fantastic. Great. And I hung up the phone and called back 30 minutes later and said, uh, may I speak to Paul Connolly, please? They said, certainly, sir. They put me through to the assistant. I said, May I make an appointment with Mr. Paul Connolly, please? And 
He said, sure. So I uh, made an appointment. Fantastically, it's just like it's almost a dream. And then um, two days later, I was there at the office, presented to him all the music, and I had them all on that tape, digital audio tape, which is like a little tape that, um, of course, nobody would know about this now. Uh, so long ago, uh, but the, you know, you had 48 kHz, which is a higher quality than CD um, tapes, and um, he had a, a DAT machine in his uh, office. And I said, I'm going to play you some music. And he said, uh, Give me the tapes and I'll play it. And I said, No, no, no. You get off the desk, sit on the couch, and face the speakers, and I'll take care of everything. Easy. So he said. Are you sure? Do you know how to work all these things? I said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll do it. He goes, are you sure? And he was like nervous and hesitant, but yet intrigued and smiley. He was like, had a smirk on his face. Because I was a little kid, little skinny little kid with long hair, and he didn't know what to do with me. So he's like, okay, I'll sit on the couch. He sat, and he faced the speakers, and I started playing the music. And he goes, okay, don't turn it loud because of the other offices and stuff. So slowly, slowly, I started turning the volume up very, very incrementally, very, very slowly and then he started tapping his foot and smiling and moving with the music and a week later I walked away with a big huge check um, so that's how, how I to Universal exciting. you sold your you sold all that music to him yes I sold it I got the publishing deal and I got um, a, you know producing deals so I was producing music for uh, uh, lots of projects and things that was going through Universal Oh, how exciting. Now, what country is this Universal in? Is this the U.S.? Uh, London. London. London Universal Music. How exciting. So you weren't afraid of the technology. You must have been a gadget enthusiast all your life. If you said, just relax, I can make this work, right? Correct. Correct. Well, what happened was that when I was a kid, I, I didn't have uh, access to lots of the uh, the equipment that uh, you know a lot of the adults were had, had access to. So I learned how to build my own uh, uh, sound mixer. So I got a um, a shoebox and I got all the condensers and, and all the the knobs and everything and connected them together and learned how to balance it and ground it so it doesn't make noises and uh, and scratches or whatever and made a four channel sound mixer at the age of eleven. And um, that was my first encounter of electronics and, and gadgetry. And pretty quickly after that, I, I got heavily involved into reading the latest technology and, um, and using it and demonstrating it and going to, to conventions and so on. So by the age of 15, I pretty much knew everything about uh, the latest technology about for music and, and so on. And I bought... Uh, a Mac at uh, the age of 15, and um, that changed my life. That was that was amazing. The Mac computer, really? The Mac computer, yeah, yeah, yeah. It changed my life completely. I mean, at the time, we're talking a few years back here, so <laughs> that was Macs weren't as popular as they are right now. They were like less than 0.2% share of the market of of the computer systems, and most of the computers at the time. Uh, the PCs and stuff were running um, a very early uh, stage of Windows, and, and it was very cumbersome and very difficult to uh, connect to different musical in musical instruments and digital uh, mediums, uh, musical interfaces, and so on and so forth. It was very, very complicated thing to do. But when Mac 
came on the market, it allowed people very quickly. Steve Jobs was very uh, adamant to make the Mac uh, a graphic and music computer. So they made it very easy. Um, I mean, we're talking easy at the time is like very complicated still into nowadays standards. But it was very relatively easy in comparison to a PC uh, to run uh, an entire uh, digital music studio uh, through uh, a computer. Incredible. So, yeah. So that's my gadget uh, story there. <laughs> so I became <laughs> well, also. You composed I, the music for one of the Titanic documentaries. Tell us about that. So uh, just after I got signed to. Uh, Universal, um, I was being mentored by a gentleman, uh, a film director, uh, very talented, won many awards. His name is Michael Portelli. He was the um, uh, he was a cinematographer as well as a director for commercials uh, in England. Um, his friend, uh, a gentleman by the name of Alexander Lindsay, uh, who's apparently related to the Queen of England, I think uh, he's her nephew, um, he was uh, making a documentary about the Titanic uh, around the same time um, that Jim Cameron was also making his stuff uh, happen. Um, but he teamed up with a gentleman by the name of Tucker, and they started uh, gathering all the equipment and all was necessary to actually go down uh, to the wreck and film it. And he, before he did that, he uh, was recommended by Michael uh, to uh, to have me as a musician, uh, as the composer for the film, uh, because he wanted his concept was to have the music uh, kind of composed before they shoot anything. So that he wanted the music to inspire the filming, uh, as opposed to the other way around. Um, so indeed that happened, and um, they made one of the most incredible uh, documentaries about the Titanic filming the real wreck, um, and uh, it, it was just a dream come true. I, I ended up, he wanted the music to be composed, he wanted about 15 minutes of music in, I think, four days or so, and he wanted it to be orchestral and huge and epic and uh, magnanimous, and so... I didn't sleep for these four days. I, I literally remember going to a studio and, and sleeping under the mixing desk for four days and eating sneakers <laughs> and drinking. <laughs> so it was, an, it was an insane time. But I delivered and, and it became this amazing uh, uh, permanent exhibit of the floating Titanic exhibit that floats around the world right now. Oh, how exciting. So you did a musical album called Journey to Your... And and that uh, notes on the album that some of the profits are being donated to War Child Charity. So tell us about the um, album and te tell us about this charity, too. So, uh, and by the way, Journey to Your, Your is spelled Y-O-R-E, which means like the days of your, old your. Uh, and yeah. the idea was to uh, create an album that, gives people the sense of belonging to something other than what they think they belong to in as far as nationalism, uh, society, gender. It's just something to transcend all 
normal aspect that people think that they belong to. Um, and it was uh, meant to carry people through a journey uh, out of that uh, realm. And it kind of did that. The music was very uh, ambient and very uh, progressive and, and unusual. It, it created um, uh, a sense of movement in England at the time because the the drum and bass and ambient drum and bass was uh, becoming very increasingly popular around the world at the time. And I, I, I combined all the underground sounds uh, of the time uh, with a very futuristic sounding instrumentation. And it created uh, a sense of euphoria and... Um, excitement, uh, and also melancholy and rem reminiscent, uh, reminiscing. Uh, so people like were, like a lot of the people that listened to it felt that they were reminiscing and, uh, and thinking back on their lives and so on and so forth. But it's a journey. So, uh, and I did uh, place the Titanic uh, music on the album as well, and, and some of the tracks that I used as well were of African choirs, and uh, these African choirs uh, had a lot of recordings that were not ever heard by uh, any Western civilization. So I was able to mix it with the music. Uh, and in exchange, not only I paid them, but I also donated money uh, to their families from the sales of the album. And at the same time, um, the, the album itself was donated to the War Child Charity to help uh, orphan children that were that had their parents uh, killed during conflicts uh, of war around the world. The, the, so war, war Child Charity, I got involved with them because they really uh, demonstrated a, a huge effort um, in taking care of the children that were displaced or orphaned uh, due to armed conflict. Uh, and I've always been against armed conflict since I was a little kid. I've had um, a, a serious adverse effect. Uh, about hearing about uh, wars uh, and and um, and weaponry, so uh, the album gave me the opportunity to fulfill that desire of not necessarily um, becoming part of uh, a, 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 like a, an external part of society or, or like completely extricate myself from society and become antisocial, but it, it gave me an opportunity to communicate my ideas without offending anyone and at the same time uh, feeling that I can still remain part of society uh, and say what I want uh, and people enjoy it and help children and help the African communities uh, around the world that, that are completely disadvantaged. So it, it was uh, a pivot point for my life because the album gave me that vehicle to fulfill all these desires. How lovely. Lovely. And now you compose music for films, right? I do. I, I've composed uh, music for several um, uh, films, and um, it, it became uh, obviously a job a little bit. Uh, it became a career as well. Um, and it also became a skill that, I, that it was indispensable for me as a filmmaker to continue making movies now. I think... Uh, in terms of a finished product rather than from uh, in terms of um, uh, elements. Uh, most filmmakers that I've met, uh, they when, when they embark upon making a movie, they, they feel that they 
want to focus on acting or a certain element of that they prefer, uh, like production design or a visual of some kind. Uh, but I found myself intrigued by a different approach, which is to think of the finished product completely and the impact of that product on the audience, um, rather than think of uh, selfish elements, if that makes any sense. So music allowed me to, uh, through film scoring, I was able to hear the music and hear the sound and hear uh, how the dialogue and the music will all merge together and come in and out of each other uh, before I even, uh, you know, created them. So I'll be filming something and and also creating the picture around the sound and the sound around the picture all at the same time simultaneously. Oh, that's incredible. Well, <clears throat> you seem to have a lot of um, scientific thoughts in your approach to art, music, filmmaking, and life in general. This is, this is what works for you then. You bring it all together with a scientific bent? Yes. I, I Like I said, it, it goes back to uh, that time when I was a child and very uh, misunderstood and unheard, I, that feeling. I, the only language that I found that was very powerful to communicate to others, that almost anyone universally understood very clearly was science and numericals, uh, numerical sciences. Um, and when I was around nine, year, nine years old, uh, I was uh, very intrigued by looking at the sky. Uh, and stargazing was an amazing habit for my uh, days out of school. Uh, you know, in the summertime, most of the kids would go out and play and do whatever, and I would sleep most of the time uh, during the day so I can wake up at night and stay in stargaze. And quickly I got into astronomy. Um, and astronomy is a completely different science than astrology. Astrology is, is not necessarily exactly a science, but it's a pseudoscience. But astronomy is uh, a science of uh, studying the movement of uh, bodies that are extraterrestrial. And, um, and uh, it's a precise science. Um, after many, many years of trying to talk my mother into uh, buying me a telescope, she bought me like a little flimsy one, and which didn't do much, and the lenses were plastic. And, and I argued with her for many years after that. And then finally she got me uh, a fantastic Tusco telescope, with a 2,000-millimeter telescope with a focus ring on it. And what's intriguing about this, this, this is how my brain completely was changed forever <laughs> that that little instrument changed my life uh the focus ring showed you very clearly the distance between the telescope and the object and what was amazing is that at that age i didn't understand anything but that 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 this ring just so it, it simply shows you the the distance so i looked at everything around me and we were living uh, by the water by the beach so I was able to look at all my friends' houses and inside the bed bedrooms and the house, you know whatever I can look at with the telescope. But after I got bored, I looked at the horizon, and at right at the horizon there's, there are ships and tankers uh, and so on. But then one day I saw a little dot uh, on top of the ship, and I found that everything that I focused my telescope on around me doesn't go beyond 
anywhere between 23 to 27 miles. So no matter where you point, point the telescope around when you're on Earth, it doesn't go beyond 27 miles, depending on the height between you and the sea level. But then that day, looking at that star above that ship at the horizon, the focus ring went from 27 miles all the way to 1.8 million miles. And I kept calculating, trying to understand that number. It just was completely mind-boggling. It was just like I couldn't really understand it. How could that even be possible? Uh, and suddenly I realized that that little dot must be massive. It must be really, really, really big because I understood that the distances uh, create a, a false sense of size. So that day, uh, it changed my life. I asked every adult around me, all my parents, my friends of my parents, my friends, everybody, uh, what that dot would be, and most people didn't know. Actually, nobody knew except my uncle, who was a doctor. He gave me a book about physics, and that changed my life. In the, in the book, it talked about Einstein and how his uncle gave him his first physics book. And I was like, wait a second, my uncle gave me my, phys my first physics book. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and that's it. So I, I got into science and uh, it became a scientific uh, effort to create music. It became a scientific effort to create um, uh, a dialogue scene. Uh, it, 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 precision and science became my language that I used to, to, to communicate with others. Well, that would take me to, to the question I wanted to find out from you. that You have a, a degree in project management. So is that what you use to produce films with? I've never heard of anyone studying that. Yes, exactly. Uh, most producers uh, don't necessarily uh, use a scientific method in order to control the numbers. Most producers use accounting uh, methods or uh, sort of a, uh, you know, they use the uh, entertainment partners packages like um, film budgeting and uh, scheduling and so on and so forth. But they're not necessarily approaching the whole project, the entirety of it, as a uh, variable um, inducing me um, uh, mechanism. It, it, that's what a project is. It's a, it's a collection of variables. And um, if one can get their head around the variables, then you get your head around the quality control, the standards, and the output very, very quickly. So I did approach filmmaking and music making from a very early on age without knowing that that is what it's called, project management. I did approach it as a project uh, manager. Uh, and then years on, years passed, I learned music. You know, I studied it in schools and so on and so forth. But nobody has ever taught me how to make music with precision. People in, in schools, they, they didn't uh, see music as a as a form of uh, uh, art that is precise. It, it's a, a very abstract. Everybody approached it as, a, um, as a, a piece of art. You know, it's like a Picasso. You just go there and just draw whatever. Even Picasso, by the way, I have my doubts about him. He is a scientific uh, person. He approached his drawing with great precision. 
um, and, and people like Leonardo da Vinci and uh, uh, and uh, Marc Chagall and uh, Monet, Mondrian, uh, uh, these artists, when I look at their paintings, I, I see great sense of balance and uh, accuracy. It isn't a sense, it's not just art. I mean, it is art, but it's precise. In order for them to, I think, reach an accurate way to uh, emote their graphics, um, they found, or they must have found a method of uh, translating their emotions uh, very accurately. So I, w I was kind of understanding that at an early age, but definitely it took me years to understand what that was called. So project management teaches you um, uh, scheduling, precise uh, uh, variable control, quality control, and uh, time control. And also, you, can, you will be able to predict uh, risk and uh, variables that could cause potential problems. Uh, that risk management and uh, risk control is a very important aspect of uh, filmmaking now when I use it uh, into making my own project come true. My gosh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Now, t so tell me, um, you must use that in your own life for you to be able to write, compose music, and uh, still have family and friend time uh, because I know you you really put yourself into the writing mode and stick to it. So do you use that time management for you to achieve more in your own personal life? I do to an extent, but uh, you know what's funny about time management in my life is that um, I uh, read many, many articles recently on uh, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine, um, which uh, discusses why people are late sometimes and why people are always on time and why people are um, early. And I, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately for others, but it's fortunately for me, so unfortunately for others, I uh, fall into the category of the people that are on time 50% and a little bit late 50%. And that's because I'm an optimist. People that are optimistic they tend to feel they can squeeze in as many tasks as possible in the same amount of time that's available to everybody else. So my optimism is creating this immense amount of uh, false hope that I can achieve, you know, build the pyramids in two days. Uh, but uh, with that in mind, I'm also a realist. So I'm an optimist who's a realist. So I'm able to calculate exactly how each task really does take. Um, but I try and squeeze in a little bit more and a little bit more. <laughs> I think we all do in the film industry because, first of all, it's fun. As long as you're doing your art, it's fun. Don't you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I do – okay, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to get onto your script about Einstein because I'm so impressed with uh, how you handled that script. I want us to make sure we have enough time to cover everything. First of all, you wrote a script on Einstein, and and the question I have is why did you choose him for as a subject? Well, Einstein was the first human being on the planet to really quantify in a manner that is irrefutable, 
thoughts and ideas that were not possible to communicate prior to his existence. Um, Isaac Newton did talk about gravity. Um, Copernicus did talk about the curvature of the Earth and uh, possibly that we are not uh, uh, the center of the universe and the sun is not circling us. We are circling the sun. He was killed for it, but, you know, nonetheless, he, he approached that uh, subject. And, of course, Galileo did uh, irrefutably, by the use of a telescope, take the Earth from the center of the universe to the fringes of the universe. And if it wasn't for his friendship to the bishop, he would have been killed too, but he was exiled for it. So Einstein was the first human being ever in history to completely debunk uh, thousands of years of beliefs just like that in a piece of paper with irrefutable mathematics and accuracy and without using many instruments other than his pen and his brain. So that, to me, was the ultimate version of myself. Uh, I wish that I would be like that. I wish that I, was, I would be able to sit down with a paper and pen and, and figure out the entire universe in, in a few years. Um, but I felt like I was doing something similar. So I related to him, and of course, I related to him even more because he was my fictitious mentor since I've received my first physics book when I was nine years old, and I read all about Einstein and how he figured things out. Um, so he was my uh, sort of um, mentor, as it were. I wanted to write his story from, the, from that perspective because nobody else has, a, has been able to write his story from that perspective. Everybody else uh, that attempted to write his story, they wrote it from the perspective of uh, he's this mad scientist with crazy hair and so on and so forth, which is very stigmatic. But um, the, the story that I wrote literally teaches people how to be geniuses. In fact, I've had many people that read the script uh, were, were telling me that they feel that they can be smarter now, that they think differently. Well, momentarily, because they obviously go back to their own old habits. But um, if they were to continue uh, the footsteps of his habits, suddenly um, you'll find yourself uh, able to maintain a sense of perspective that would get you more accurate results. So it was, it was a very intriguing story for me. It, it really moved me since I was a child. And I really wanted to uh, share that with the world because it would definitely... If, if people understand how the, one of the smartest people on the, on the planet ever existed uh, thinks and learn from him, I think the planet would be a better place. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, this uh, was considered one of the best unproduced scripts in 2014 in Hollywood, right? So Correct. tell us the story of getting this sold. Well, um, I made a a proof-of-concept short film uh, about Einstein as a sort of a, uh, a miniature of the feature film. And I took it to the Cannes Film Festival. It, 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 was, it got accepted there. And it was shown there, and a lot of important people saw it. And uh, I came back from uh, France with a huge number of um, interest uh, about the feature film and about the making uh, of the film. And eventually, uh, I got a call 
saying, uh, guess what? You know, uh, your efforts are <laughs> been fruitful. Uh, your proof of concept has drawn the attention of very, uh, you know, important people, and uh, we would like to, uh, uh, you know, do a contract. So, uh, a very influential uh, company out of the Bay Area approached uh, this whole thing, and um, and they're now in the making of. A uh, tremendous amount of effort into creating uh, books and educational material, and uh, films and series and, and so so on and so forth about Einstein, based on my uh, premise and my uh, approach to writing his story. That is incredible. Do you still are you still connected to the project? Do you have any rights left uh, that you didn't sell? Yes. Um, what it is is that I continue to become the writer uh, on all the material uh, from now till the end of time, until or the end of me. Uh, I'll end before the end of time. Um, and um, uh, I also have uh, participation in uh, the games creation or the an uh, ancillary rights uh, creation. So yes, I am involved very much so in the creative side. So what's the next project that you're working on that is related to this script? Well, um, I'm following the footsteps of um, uh, science and science fiction and uh, uh, trying to help people understand um, the, the universe uh, and their world and their place in the universe uh, a lot more, as much as possible in a digestible manner. So I was able to create... Um, a story about a teenage girl uh, coming from an outer space um, who comes to Earth uh, to hide from her family. And uh, in, that in, the, in the course of that uh, period, uh, she ends up making friends and, and people learn things from her and so on and so forth. So this, this particular uh, project is called Chiron. It's named after the planet that was um, discovered in the 1970s. Um, it's a uh, habitable planet. It actually sits within the habitable zone of a, a nearby star. It's about 90 or so uh, light years away from here, so it'll take us a while to get there in reality. But in, in, in fantasy, it is possible um, for beings that, were, if they were indeed living there, they would be able to come to Earth and uh, mingle with us. But of course, it's all imaginary and fantasy, but it's fun. It's very uh, geared towards the same demographic as Hunger Games and Twilight and Lord of the Rings and uh, Kick-Ass and all these movies. That sounds terrific. And what is the title of that? It's, it's, it's named after the, the planet, which is Chiron, C-H-I-R-O-N. Uh, that we I love astrology. And in astrology, that is a healing planet. And people, you can look where it is in the skies and see how it's affecting you. And usually that planet brings healing with it. So I don't mm -hmm. know if you were aware of that. I wasn't aware of the astrological uh, ramifications, but uh, I'm glad to hear that. It, yeah. maybe, it is a healing script. It's a, This girl comes on Earth and tries to heal everybody. So I don't know. I didn't know anything about astrology before I wrote the script, but this is quite... Interesting coincidence there. Oh, about yeah. coincidence. <laughs> so, oh, no, no coincidence because that's exactly what would happen. That they would, 
they would bring that healing energy with them. So well done. Uh, let me ask you, are you a consultant to filmmakers? Yes, I am. And um, I work with uh, a consultancy agency, which I will uh, have their link on my website. Um, and I also try and help as much as possible young filmmakers uh, to learn more about uh, how to navigate the the, the unpredictability of uh, Hollywood uh, uh, business game. Um, it's uh, very important for young people to know from the offset um, what they're getting themselves into when they speak to a producer or they speak to a uh, writer or a director or a film finance company or a bonding company or an insurance company. It, it's, it, it's important to know the, the kind of beasts that they're dealing with. It's, it's just um, it, every single entity has its own um, uh, uh, graphic, uh, you know, of, of dealing with uh, people. So and everybody's looking for an angle. Everybody has a certain uh, demeanor to be dealt with. So it's important to balance that out and, and really gauge the words accordingly. Oh, it is so true. The the idea swimming with sharks is very true in Hollywood. That, that film was one of the best to tell you what is going on. You can be taken advantage of by simply the lack of or the addition of two or three words. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. One word could change everything. In fact, the tense, the verb tense uh, of a particular word in a sentence could uh, be the deciding factor uh, between zero dollars to a hundred million dollars. Exactly. So you can't go into battle like that alone. People think, oh, I have a contract. How exciting. No, no. Someone once said to me that a contract is the beginning of a serious negotiation. Correct. Right. That's a, a very true statement. That's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible, profound statement right there. Right. Okay. Well, um, let's go on to the next project. What are your goals now? What is it you're working on? So after... So Sure. So after the... Uh, the journey of uh, learning how to uh, make music for films and make films and write films and uh, make music uh, for other projects and uh, edit because I've edited a lot of my films as well. Um, I don't want to end up being like Robert Rodriguez who chops and edits and writes and does that, slices, whatever the the idiom that everybody says about him. I don't want to be a Robert Rodriguez. I want to be just the concept and uh, vision uh, holder. Uh, I want to be the person that brings in the best talent in the world together. I'm able to find the right talent. I'm able to delegate to them and communicate to them now that I've learned how to do that. Um, I'm able to create phenomenal uh, outcomes from bringing in the the world's best talents together in one room. Uh, I, I don't have the the, the desire really to do everything. I want to be able to be the one who uh, is responsible for creating uh, some uh, of the best possible pieces of uh, filmmaking that can come out in, in the next few years. So I want to direct 
uh, and possibly uh, co-produce with along with someone else uh, projects and uh, maybe co-compose music with some people. So I would be able to, uh, you know, uh, sculpt the film art into something that is uh, personal and at the same time impactful to the demographic that I'm communicating with. But I definitely I'm aware of of the formula uh, of communicating with demographics. So I, I'm aware of the commercial viability as well as the intellectual viability. So um, I, I'm the, I've created a uh, formula for that, and I would like to implement it as soon as possible. Oh, that sounds excellent. Well, let's get to the uh, the fact that you uh, really worked with a lot of people to get where you are to achieve the success you've achieved so far. But what do you think is the future of film finance? Well, currently um, there is a, a, a powerful debate that has gone on currently in California, uh, and that it does involve the uh, major studios. Um, that California, which includes Los Angeles, uh, is a place for filmmakers from all around the world. Uh, for some reason or another, um, personalities, for, you know, powerful personalities have blocked that from happening, um, and on purpose, uh, for whatever reasons that they, you know, stated at the time. But I don't think the reasons are necessarily the reasons, but they are just reasons. Um, but currently, film finance is governed by. Uh, locations and talents and uh, a great deal of uh, these two elements is controlled by uh, unfortunately by government regulations so um, there is an effort currently that is going on in California to completely dissolve the control of the government regulation over these two elements so that you know so filmmaking really can take off here in California and if it does uh, the game will change because uh, now marketing is becoming more integrated in film finance. So uh, sponsorships are not necessarily going to be like product placements. A lot of people confuse the two together. Um, but the future of film finance definitely is going to take social media uh, and the talent, uh, the actors and so on, and the location of the filming all into one formula to create a financial structure for a motion picture. Uh, so let's take Louisiana, for example. Uh, they have an amazing finance uh, structure. They, they've invited many filmmakers and have had an uncapable uh, film finance structure and a tax rebate. But then for whatever reason, recently, uh, in the last month or so, they've capped their film finance between 150 to $180 million for a tax rebate. So that cap is an example of what could happen when a government regulation uh, ends uh, a, a potential uh, a market for film finance structure. Um, but in California, we're trying to do the, diff the opposite of that. So the future of film finance is going to be uh, leaving the hands of the powerful a little bit more and is going to be more like the Internet, which is pliable, flexible, adaptable, and quick. Um, and it will be all about uh, what does the people want, what 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 they want, and uh, and it will be 
governed by that very state, uh, very um, the, the very phase uh, that the people are in in that particular location. So what I would recommend if one uh, person is trying to finance a motion picture right now is to definitely look into uh, the subject matter that they're trying to produce in the, that film and uh, try and find the most suitable location to that subject matter and really strike a deal that is customizable to their project specifically and not necessarily uh, uh, you know, uh, under an umbrella of some regulation and customize that deal for that particular project because that's the future is that everything has to be customizable there's there are no umbrellas anymore it's kind of like social media facebook internet you know in the beginning it was, they were trying to create a structure but then it just the, the more you try and control everything the more you lose control over everything well said well tell us how we can find you what is your website what's your email address let us know Sure, absolutely. Uh, my website is basilmore, B-A-S-I-L-M-O-O-R-E dot com. And um, uh, there is a contact button. And uh, shortly after uh, now, there will be a, a couple of links as well to uh, this blog and my consultancy um, company. And uh, everybody will be able to get a hold of me either through that or through uh, the website. Also, my email address is uh, epic, E-P-E-I-C, picture, P-I-C-T-U-R-E, at gmail.com. And uh, anybody can send me anything, and I'm more than happy to help. Epic picture, not plural, but singular. Singular, correct. At gmail.com? At at gmail.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, you've just been so delightful. Thank you for all of the information you've given us. You have such an interesting take on making movies, writing music. It, it all comes from a scientific bent. And and so to, to think that you wrote your first success, uh, feature on Einstein, and now it's being made into so many uh, saleable items, this will go on for years, won't it? It'll be all over yeah. And schools, we it'll be so. on television, uh, it, uh, it'll be series. Fantastic. You've done a great That's job fantastic. to bring him into our homes. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. He, he deserves it. Oh, he certainly does. I'm a big fan, too. Claire, thank you very much for hosting the show and taking care of us. Yes, you're very welcome. Uh, wonderful to, to uh, have you on the show, Basil. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Take care. Okay. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice. Fair use successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com.